the fourth Monday of the month, and that means it's time for the University of Dallas segment. Uh, we always have Dr. Jonathan Sanford either in studio or with us one way or the other. He's in studio today, so welcome, Dr. Sanford. How are you? It's, it's great to be here. Um, I'm doing great. Yeah. Uh, how are you, Dave? I'm doing fine. I, I think the last time you were here, uh, school either was just about to start or you were like in the first week, and now you, you know, got a month or so under your belt. So how's, how's the uh, new year going? Things are going really fantastically, actually. The, the students are engaged. Um, you know, on campus, it's, it's all about the student mm-hmm. and, and the learning that takes place there. And, um, it's been a, it's been a happy first month of the semester. At the end of this week is fall reading day or next week, rather. And, and that means that midterms are coming up and, and that's when things get a little more serious. But, <laughs> but we, we have a fantastic freshman class and, yeah. and faculty seem to be pleased with, um, the, effort of our students. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, very good. I was excited to see that you all have a Eucharistic procession coming up this Saturday, That's all right. tied in with uh, Eucharistic Revival that the USCCB is promoting. And I guess uh, you got a guest to talk about it today, huh? That's right. Yeah. So this this Saturday, we'll, ha- we'll uh, have Mass at noon, as we always do on Saturday. And then there will be adoration and a rosary. And then we'll have a Eucharistic procession on campus. And um, and, and then a little reception afterwards. But the, the point of this is to participate in some small way in the National Eucharistic Revival. And uh, Bishop Cousins of Cookston is um, the the bishop designated to lead that effort. And Sister Alicia Torres is the director of communications um, with that effort. And I believe she's on the line. Yep, she's Hello, she's with Dr. us. Stanford. How are you, Sister Torres? Thanks so much for I'm joining great. us. I'm great. Thank thank you for having me. Well, you know, um I I first learned about the Eucharistic revival um a little late in the game. It was this summertime, and I know the the official uh kickoff was June 19th on the feast of Corpus Christi, but um I think a lot of our listeners are eager to hear more about what the Eucharistic revival is and why it is so significant at this moment in time. Absolutely. You know, our bishops really have prayerfully discerned a response to what is a crisis in our church right now that a great minority of Catholics really understand and believe the doctrine of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so if we don't understand that, then, you know, why would we go to mass? Why would we, live radically changed lives that don't correspond to what the culture tells us we should do. Mm-hmm. And so this revival was launched this past Corpus Christi, like you said, and the three year movement toward a national Eucharistic Congress. And then from there, a missionary sending out. Mm-hmm. So while we have these three years that are planned, the vision is not for this to be just three years, but rather to engage the grassroots at every level to, in a sense, kind of well up into this revival and to live the fruits of it and the mission of it for years to come. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love the language of revival. It's it's a term that um, Catholics don't always attach to their approach to our faith. And um, what... What what do you hear when you hear the term revival, and and why do you think um, the bishops have have characterized this movement as a revival? Absolutely. Well, when you think of that word, or rather, when I hear the word revival, at least what it makes me think of is come back to life, right? Mm-hmm. To revive, to reinvigorate, to reenliven. And if we think about the mystery of the Eucharist, there is 
effectively no Eucharist without the resurrection, right? Yes. The Eucharist is Jesus truly present to us, a celebration of the Paschal mystery, um, an orientation toward new resurrected life in Christ. And we can't have communion without sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? And so daily in our church, we relive the Paschal mystery and we're invited into that. Um, but if our hearts are not engaged, if our minds are not engaged, if our lifestyle isn't engaged in what resurrection means for us, then it's, it's going to be hard to key in. And so we all need revival, mm-hmm. um, including leadership. And that's what this first year of the Eucharistic revival is about, is reaching out to the leaders in our church, um, from the bishops all the way to school principals and everyone leading within the different diocesan um, um institutions that are a church, whether they be parishes, Catholic schools, Catholic charities, et cetera, mm-hmm. because all of us who are leaders need to have renewal, need to have healing, need to have deeper conversion with Jesus mm-hmm. and do that encounter with him in the Eucharist. So I love that your um, event on Saturday really was oriented around the first two pillars we're talking about when we discuss the revival is personal encounter and reinvigorating devotion. Mm-hmm. And so meeting him in the Eucharist and then loving him in the Eucharist. And that's what the mass is about. That's what adoration is about. That's what Eucharistic processions and other expressions of devotion are about. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to know him <laughs> in order to serve him, right? But if in order to know him and serve him, we need to let him love us and mm-hmm. have that response of love. Um, and I see that as just really the ground zero of this year of the revival. Well, thank you for that. So, can I ask you a little bit about your your own um, um, uh, I guess vocation? You're a Franciscan of the Eucharist of Chicago. You got Eucharist in the in the very title of your your uh, religious community. And um, what what about um, your own embrace of God's call for you? Does the Eucharist um, have to do? How 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 does how does adoration? How does engagement with our Lord? particularly in, in um, the Blessed Sacrament, uh, play into into your own call? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, a great, it's such a great thing to reflect on. I mean, when I think about it, you know, as a Franciscan, many people think of St. Francis of Assisi and associate him with garden statues and animals, and certainly he loved creation, but that's because he had a profound relationship with our Creator and he was totally absorbed in the mystery of the Incarnation. Mm-hmm. And so St. Francis was a profoundly Eucharistic saint, uh, to the point where, you know, he's living right around or right after the years following Lateran IV, which was a council that called for the clergy particularly to reevaluate how are they caring for the things of the Mass, how are they celebrating the Eucharist. St. Francis wrote a letter to all the priests of the entire world, exhorting them to put into practice the reforms of Lateran IV. Mm-hmm. So this is part of our Franciscan history and intimately bound up with even the founding of our order, so here I am 800 years later on the west side of Chicago at the mission of Our Lady of the Angels. And like many other Franciscan communities, we choose to live among the poor that we serve. Um, but, you know, our founder, Bishop Lombardo, who who's now one of the auxiliary bishops here in Chicago, he would often echo the words of Mother Teresa to us in the early days of our community that, you can't see Jesus in the Eucharist. You can't see him in the poor. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we think about the materially poor, the impoverished, those who struggle with addiction on the margins of society, it can at times be very hard to gaze upon people in those situations and see Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's through that daily encounter with him in adoration 
at the Holy Mass um, that my own eyes have been transformed. And, you know, I think part of that conversion journey, Dr. Sinford, is also just starting to have that same experience Jesus has when he sees his poor ones. Um, and he promised the poor would always be with us, which is, in a sense, a bit of um it's a bit of a, a heavy thing for us to carry. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing we can do as followers of Jesus to eliminate poverty. Like this is going to be part of our fallen world. But how can we reach out in love with his hands and his heart to alleviate that suffering, not just materially, but ultimately inviting those who are on the margins into a relationship with Jesus, which is transformative for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so, I mean, I couldn't even imagine living this life without the Eucharist. I, it wouldn't make sense, frankly, right. Right. Um, to live this way. So I feel incredibly um, honored and humbled. And when I pay attention to the movements of my own heart and I'm aware of it, it's so clear to me um, why the church has asked religious life to live the way that she has, mm-hmm. and why our founders and foundresses have these particular cares and to respond to specific needs, mm-hmm. specific times of church history. Well, thank you for that. You know the the um, I, I want to talk about the um, the, the Eucharistic uh, revival, the Eucharistic Congress that um, there, we have a, a three year march towards. So it's going to take place July seventeenth through twenty one of twenty twenty four. And you said a little earlier in this segment that um, the goal is not just to get to the Congress. The Congress itself is an opportunity for a vast revitalization of um, the church in America and the church in the world. And the way in which I, I see our, our uh, students on campus, for instance, engaged every day. We've got a couple of masses on mm-hmm. campus. We've got a, a community of Cistercians across the street. Mm-hmm. We have a Dominican priory on campus and a, a minor seminary on campus. There, there are many celebrations of the Eucharist on a, on a daily basis, and we have adoration on a daily basis. And, mm-hmm. and I can see that our young people are hungry for this, this deep personal relationship with our Lord Jesus. And, um, maybe that, that, that gives me, um, uh, a view of our future that's different than the one that you might encounter on television or in the mm-hmm. newspapers, right? So it, in some ways, it it can seem like there are a set of insurmountable obstacles to a, um, a United States of America that's just teeming with love for our Lord that mm-hmm. that orients itself around the Eucharist. And um, how how do we how do we move from this profound aspiration to realize that kind of future um, uh, what what are the means to that end how how are we going to get there you know that's such a fantastic question and i think honestly you you've responded to it in part just by those observations that you're sharing with us about what you're seeing at the university of dallas young people are hungry and when we propose christ as the answer to those deep questions that starts to move them to walk in a direction toward him. And so, you know, when I reflect on the Eucharistic Bible, when I pray about it, I'm, I'm so convicted that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, um, that our bishops have just so prayerfully discerned a direction for the church. Mm-hmm. And I mean, frankly, what is it? It's like calling the whole church to reorient her gaze upon Christ in the Eucharist 
And, you know, we read so clearly in the catechism dovetailing from Vatican II documents that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, of our Christian life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we're not gazing upon the source, then all the questions are going to start having answers that are moving away from the truth, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, how many people are struggling with even just understanding their basic identity as humans, Mm -hmm. as men and as women, men and women? How many young people even can identify as beloved children of of God the Father who is never going to abandon them or let them down Mm -hmm. or be disappointed in them? Mm-hmm. Right. When we have so many experiences of broken family life. Um, so for me, and, and I think for our team, for the bishops, you know, we're thinking about this very big picture, but just like Jesus, <laughs> like, let's just get really, really simple here. Jesus called a community of 12 right. to be with him for three years. And he lived with them, ate with them, prayed with them, called them away from the busyness periodically to rest. And then he sent them on mission when they were ready. And so I think there's a huge, big picture to attend to. And that every single one of us, especially leaders, you know, like a person like yourself that's leading a Catholic university, how is the Holy Spirit asking you to attend to the community that you're, in a sense, entrusted with, Mm -hmm. that you're working with the clergy that are there to help shepherd these young people closer to Christ? And then how do we empower each Catholic, each baptized member of the body to make a personal response to this call for revival? You know, and for every single one of us, that means a renewed encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist or a first encounter. Mm -hmm. And then from there, helping people to discern what's the next step. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to look really different for someone who's not even attending Sunday Mass regularly, as it might be for someone who's already going to Sunday Mass and has a bit of a formed life of prayer. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a cookie cutter. Um, it can be so invigorated, and so much creativity can come from the various charisms that we have in the church, the lay movements. I mean, even the character of every Catholic university is different, and every Catholic university is in a different place mm-hmm. in how she's expressing her Catholic identity. So I think that's one of the great things about just the idea of revival is that you know, it's going to start right where the person is at. You don't mm-hmm. have to be a certain place on the, quote, journey mm-hmm. to engage in this. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's just deeply comforting to remember, as as you encouraged us to, that our Lord started with a, a very small group and mm-hmm. and um, just those 12 um, and, you know, uh, 11 in a way, um, although mm-hmm. um, uh, then 12 again. So the the. Um, um, the, the insurmountability of the task presents itself if we think that we're the instruments of mm. everything that is to be accomplished, it seems to me. But if we're doing our our job, if we're performing those tasks that are given unto us and and striving as well as we can to encourage others to do their work, then then uh, the Holy Spirit can uh, can move through this process in, in ways that will astonish us, I think. The, Absolutely. You know, um, can can you tell us a little bit about what the notion of a Eucharistic Congress is? I know we've we've had them before in the United States. It's been a while. Um, but what what does this mean? A Eucharistic Congress? Absolutely. You know, the Eucharistic Congress. When when we've been envisioning it, um, we have a wonderful new executive director for the Congress, Tim Glomkowski. Fantastic mm-hmm. um, Catholic leader, layman. 
Yeah, and I know. I, I know him. I taught him uh, many years ago when he was an okay, undergraduate yeah, student, I, and I was at a different university. So he's very he's good. Yeah, Tim is just wonderful. I'm so pleased um, that the bishops invited him to take on that role. So when you think about the Eucharistic Congress, I mean, don't think conference. Think festival. Think World Youth Day. Think bringing the whole church together to celebrate and to worship our God truly present in the Eucharist, to have moments of formation, Mm -hmm. um, and then to have this beautiful moment of missionary sending as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so we we envision the festival environment. We envision opportunities for young adults, for families. Um, We envision including seminarians um, and clergy and helping to make this happen, as, as well as, of course, hundreds of volunteers to help put into play the plan um, that our wonderful staff has been working on for over over two years now. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something that pulls together overnight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly excited. I know. So I, 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 really... I like this idea of a of a festival. Right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, there there is there is fundamental to our celebration of the faith, a, a kind of recognition of um, um, celebration as being a, a kind of, of worship, right? And and, and I think we've become a dour people in many respects. <laughs> and 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 so um, rejoicing in the Lord and, and rejoicing in the community around our Lord seems to me appropriate. I want to ask you one theological question, if you don't mind. You were you were talking earlier about uh, how we've lost our sense of, of what it is to be human. And mm. and um what is it about spending time with our Lord, gazing upon Him in the Eucharist, that um, helps us recall our humanity? Yeah, such a good question. You know, it really, really, really brings me back to um, that line, I believe in Gaudium, it says that the human person cannot know him or herself except through a sincere gift of self. And it's impossible for us to even enter into that dynamic of making the gift of ourselves until we ourselves have allowed another to make a gift of himself to us. Mm-hmm. And God is our origin and our destiny, right? I mean, we believe in this Trinitarian God, this profound mystery, but that the Father, Son, and Spirit are this eternal exchange of love. So they they themselves, the, our God is a relationship, and we're mm-hmm. made in the image and likeness of this self-giving, all-loving God. Mm -hmm. And so to sit before him in adoration and allow him to reveal himself, to give himself to us, awakens in us that capacity, Mm -hmm. right? So it's it's essential for us as Catholics if we truly believe that this this is real, that Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead, and that that changes history, destroys sin and death. Um, It's going to be impossible for us to get to the depths of a secure identity without the Eucharist. Yeah. You know, we talk about the seven sacraments and they are all um, these visible manifestations of grace and different ways that Christ reveals his love and mercy to us. But the Eucharist is, is the pinnacle sacrament. Like there's no sacrament that touches what the Eucharist is. It's not a symbol. It is Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like, we await and like we groan in our bodies for the fullness of that encounter and that communion with him in heaven. So the Eucharist doesn't replace what will be, 
but it's our food for the journey. It's our accompaniment of the whole Christ on the way to heaven. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. And I, I love that notion of self-donation um, that, that's at the root of the Holy Trinity. And we, as human beings, are called to live in a kind of self-donative manner in marriage, mm-hmm. in our religious communities, in mm-hmm. our families, and in our our broader communities. And reflecting on the way in which our Lord in the flesh is present before us, although under a species that, mm-hmm. that, um, is, is not obvious, um, obviously revealing the wholeness of his, um, of his self. Um, that, that reminds us of our own call to live in community and, mm-hmm. and of our, of our own nature as being in fact a, a bodily nature. But, um, I think one, one of the, the great, ailments of our of our day is this tendency to think of ourselves as strictly individuals who mm. who um, have every right to pursue whatever we might think we prefer and uh, a successful life is a life in which we maximize our our preferences that's not a flourishing life um that's a that's a truncated view of what it is to be a human being which is to be fully embodied soul and body and we flourish in community with others through giving our own lives as gifts to those who give themselves as gifts to us. So thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in support of this Eucharistic revival. And um, we, we are uh, eager to participate, um, not just as we will this Saturday with, with our mass and all of our listeners are welcome to join us for mass and adoration mm-hmm. and a procession. Um, uh, that's just a small way. We're going to be praying. Um, I want to see our students involved and our faculty involved in the great festival that we're anticipating in three years and, and, and then beyond. But I'm very grateful that you've taken this on and are, are helping the, the church in America with this work. Uh, totally a pleasure. And I'd encourage all your listeners to visit um, our national website, EucharisticRevival.org. We have a beautiful weekly newsletter with original content that comes out every Thursday. You can subscribe there to stay inspired and engaged in the revival over these three years. Um, and there's just many more resources. We just put up a new dynamic page called Lead that helps people to understand how they can prayerfully discern how to get involved as leaders. Um, yeah, so there's just so much rich content on there. And we'll just continue to build that in these days and weeks to come. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Sister Torres. And God bless you. My pleasure. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Very good segment. She was a great guest. And so EucharisticRevival.org is her website. Uh, of course, UDallas.edu is uh, University of Dallas's. And the, the events on Saturday begin at what time, Dr. Sanford? Noon Mass. Noon Mass. In the Church of the Incarnation. All right. Very good. Well, great to see you. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. And, uh, great segment there. Uh, University of Dallas segment every fourth Monday at 1230 here on KTH 910 AM.